episode for a few reasons in that we're going to discuss the new Disney trilogy of Star Wars. The Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, Rise of Skywalker. Are they successful trilogies? Are they successful movies? Do some work? Do some not? We're going to get into it. And it's a big, controversial, a lot of emotions mixed in kind of <laughs> subject. Star Wars brings baggage. And also, I recently talked about the Twilight Zone. I had sort of a Twilight Zone recording session. Eric and Ashley, uh, who had helped me a lot in the past doing episodes of the podcast, did the first half of the Star Wars podcast, did talk with me about all of the Star Wars movies. And uh, we already did one episode with them. And we did talk about all three of these movies. But upon playing back my recording... A lot of Ashley's dialogue, especially, is muted. But it's creepy in Twilight Zone because I was recording live in the air and I was talking and responding to Ashley. I could hear her. And yet somehow her voice is vanished at portions, especially during my last review. She just, like, seemed to be there but not there. So, solution. <laughs> I got Matthew Rislin to talk me through the last of the three films as well and uh, I will definitely make sure that Eric and Ashley Jurgens' voice get heard as well uh, as far as their opinion on the film but I'm going to have Eric and Ashley Jurgens help me talk through the first two that is The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker I'm going to have my friend Matthew Rislin help me with and to start off this there's going to be a fairly snarky discussion between Lee Beckman and I about Star Wars, about fandom, and about, you know, the relevance of the newest Star Wars trilogy and perhaps what is to come. So you got four guests that you're going to be listening to this episode. Lee Beckman, Ashley Jurgens, Eric Jurgens, and Mr. Matt Rislin. I, as always, am your host and random Canadian Larry Parsons. If you have feedback, please be kind and please send it to rankinreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. The website is rankinreview.ca. Please forgive any coarse language or spoilers for the three movies we're discussing. And may the force be with you. I 
So I have this quandary about Star Wars that I want to bug you about. Okay. Now, um, what do we as fans really want and expect from a Star Wars movie? I, I like we we've talked about the new trilogy in this episode, and you know, uh, it's weird because there's a lot of parallels to me in its trajectory as there is in the new Halloween trilogy. Alrighty. The first installment was fairly, you know, entertaining, fairly solid, but what you would expect as a fan of the genre. You're talking about Halloween. I'm right talking now, or... about both of them. Okay. The second one has some problematic elements, but because it is the middle child in the trilogy, I feel like the fans were giving it a lot of room because, you know, we're going to finish strong. We're going to we're going to tie up all of these frayed and loose ends in the third movie. And the third movie fails spectacularly at doing any of those things. Okay. Now, uh, I mean, horror fans and Star Wars fans are different animals, but I think that they, what they want is similar in that, like, they want to have their fandom honored. Yeah. And the longer I digest these new Star Wars movies, the more I'm like, is the problem, I mean, the problem is to a degree Disney's because they made the movie, but sure. is the problem at least as much the fans as it is Walt Disney? to starship starship to star wars when you were a kid was it big did it loom large in your world um yeah it did um it was one of the few movies where a sense of wonderment like i i, I hadn't really seen this before and a sense of wonderment came over me i even remember uh in the backyard of our near a comrade axton francis as we were watching star wars on this that you know big uh, screen he put up in the back and asked the neighbors if he could have those nighttime showings and that attack of the Death Star good god it's still glorious like you are just filled with wonder at that sequence so um, if you're talking about something that you have fierce attachment with from your childhood and sure. then 40 years later or 35 years later they're doing Nouveau Star Wars and, again, we've already had the prequels. And in my opinion, the prequels already shat the bed pretty thoroughly. Yeah. But there's so much vitriol online. Like, you look online about Disney's Star Wars and just the hate, the anger, the betrayal. And I've started to come around. It's not that I pity, oh, poor Disney. <laughs> but what yeah. possible product could they give us that we would be accepting at this point? People hated Solo. It's not a bad movie, but it's no, not... but the hate was 
as strong for that as say Last Jedi. Like when yeah. Last Jedi came out, and really its story structure is almost similar to Empire if you stop and you think about it. Um, like the first two are just almost structured carbon copies of each other. Which is why I find it so funny. They were like, it's so different, it's daring. I'm like, yes and no. <laughs> um, I think there's, you know, one story that really works, one that sort of, you know, kind of, you know, works, and the third story doesn't work at all. And what's his name needs to fire his fucking agent, or at least talk to Disney, uh, the guy who played Finn. Right. Well, it's... Uh, uh, what is that actor's name? Daniel... The... Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, Orello? Who is it? My apologies, by the way, not that I think you listen to this podcast. Right. You're very good. But his character got so much promise from the start, and then... Yeah, <laughs> well, and this goes back to not having a plan. Like, maybe Halloween had a plan, and it got screwed up by COVID. I suspect that they didn't. But Disney definitely did not have a plan for their new trilogy, which yeah. is a problem. But even their standalones, like Rogue One and Han Solo, I thought were decent. And uh, awesome. I... I, I, I a lot of people love that movie. Yeah, and I, I'm a fan of The Mandalorian. It, and if I'd seen The Mandalorian when I was 12, yeah, like it would have been the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. It would have been like, this is Star Wars. But yeah. uh, the response is like, people are watching it. Obviously, they're making tons of Star Wars. They're not losing any money off of it. But the position seems to be bitch, 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 bitch. And it's yeah. difficult for me because, yes, the original trilogy is sacred and kind of untouchable, but yeah. the prequel trilogy was terrible. And as much as I have problems with the new Disney trilogy, I don't think they're as terrible as the prequel trilogy. There's this, like, revisionist history going on saying, see, George Lucas had it all figured out. I think that George Lucas, and this is blasphemous, so <laughs> let's take it, might be one of the single most overrated filmmakers in history. Um, you did not see Brett Ratner, so sorry. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I'm talking about rate of praise against the the, the rate of their output, okay? I, I think his contribution to the technology of cinema sure. uh, is, well, it's record-breaking, and he's partially responsible for the whole selling of merchandise and getting lots of money that way for the films. But he's made but three good a, movies. Three. Uh, okay, Star Wars. THX, Star Wars, yeah, American and Graffiti. American Graffiti. Yep. And the the most recent of those was what, 1975? Yeah, but George is always, like, he's the only he's not a good director, he's more of a producer and writer. But he's George treated George, he like this genius, him. right? Yeah. He's treated like this god, this guy. He created Star Wars. He gave us Star Wars. No, he came up with the idea for Star Wars. A yeah, lot right, of talented, creative people helped to make it into a reality. And yeah. uh, this idea that George Lucas can fix it is so asinine to me. Like, <laughs> we know what his dialogue sounds like. And he said that he doesn't enjoy directing. He much yes. prefers producing and being in yeah. the writing room and having ideas than actually also, working yeah, with and actors. Likes playing with computers. Yeah, no, yeah. it's the same complaints that a lot of FX directors who get their first directing gig or, or production designers that they're good at some of the technical stuff but do not know how to communicate with actors and tell a good story. So yeah, I, I, George Lucas is just one of those guys. We can hate him. Uh, we, we can you know put all the hate on him, but. In some ways, he is also partially responsible for Star Wars 
and Indiana Jones. So for an I, idea base. He had role. came up with the idea, but then he said Lawrence Kasdan write the script, Steven yeah. Spielberg direct the movie. But he also helped guide the story as well. For so, all of them, but like again, uh, he's a like he's a pitch man. He's a story guy. He's a good yeah. creative person, but yeah. he is lauded as being the single most important filmmaker of of our or practically any generation and it grosses well, me out he's, he's up there with the, with the brat pack but would you say that he failed upwards though i don't he didn't fail he succeeded i just think he's no, not a filmmaker there are, like, there are stories about other directors who like don't show up to set like brian singer and he's got a whole list of problems but they're like you know, Olivia Wilde has faced the same criticism recently when on her second gig she was more interested in being with, you know, this, uh, well, she was cheating on her husband with this person than meeting all the meetings and whatnot. It's what got, what's his name, fired from the island of Dr. Rowe. But again, these people are not treated as if they're the greatest gift to film, and George right. Lucas is. Well, he's, like I said, he's also created history among hollywood so he does get a bit of that club because he does it on the great. shoulders of others is my point uh, uh he's a great ideas guy man sure and, and he gets talented people to bring those ideas to the screen i think he's overrated is, is all i'm trying to say and uh, like well, it's, I, I think I, it's a I, pretty I, defensible position considering how big the praise goes to lucas and I think that uh, because the fan base can't blame Lucas, they can whip on Disney. Well, like, they can whip on Lucas. That's all fair and good. And I think even he, you know, like he even talked about he did not want to originally direct the first two movies. No one would. Like he asked Brian De Palma, Steven Spielberg, who ghost directed that last lightsaber duel, by the way. He asked Francis Ford Coppola. They didn't want to touch this because there's a level of such love and intensity that eventually he just gave in. And I honestly think he was starting to get his mojo back by Sif. It still has a lot of problems, but there are moments where that movie sinks. Well, um, even the original Star Wars, if you watch the making of, they say his original cut of the movie was unwatchable. The yeah, editing room good. and the adding of James Earl Jones and the, and the yeah. changes made after his cut are what turned Star Wars into the property that we know it to be. If his version was released, I don't think Star Wars would be Star Wars to the degree that we see today. A lot of films get saved in post. Sure. I will use the quote from Martin Scorsese saying, if you don't have a sick feeling after watching your cut of the film, something's wrong. It's wrong. So a lot of films, like even the stories of The Departed, they were editing and editing and editing and editing and editing the movie almost up to the release date because they they had some sequence problems and there was like pacing and everything. It, it's kind of actually amazing how quickly uh, these movies really go to the wire and like some of them are saved in the screening process where you know they say this works, this doesn't work. So I don't know. I can understand your criticism of Lucas, and I'll even concede that oh sure maybe he's been given more praise than he should as a director but as a filmmaker um he has revolution well he created certain things that made a lot of money for the studios and had a lot of good ideas like radio land murders he finds talent he is talented um he just, just hasn't made those... a good movie since the 70s that's all that's all well, i'm saying okay well fair enough <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Uh, like, the weight of the praise that he gets is unworthy of the output, to my opinion. But I yeah, get that enough. this is a minority opinion. 
And by all means, work behind the scenes. Be a movie producer. Be an idea man. For sure. For sure. If you know where your gifts are, lean that way. His gifts are not dialogue. His gifts yeah. are not directing oh, yeah. acting. Yeah, I think he would even tell you this. Yeah. I do love that meeting with, with, with the, the, the whole like crew and Rick McCallum watching the first cut of Phantom Menace. And they have this sick feeling of each other. Well, again, that's a fascinating... The, the making of The Phantom Menace is so much more interesting than the movie itself. Because this is a person who uh, is putting everything into the last minute, including the actual script itself, while sets are being built. Like, <laughs> and he's surrounded by yes men. It's weirdly Trumpian in in that like he's making something terrible, and the people around him know that he's making something terrible, but, but nobody will say okay. anything. <laughs> okay, but any filmmaker will tell you that there is a very fine line for you know a good idea in a film that starts off and then it goes off the rails for sometimes even reasons beyond control like it, 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 it like it's yeah hard. but that's not that it was beyond his control is the thing he waited 20 years over 20 years to do these prequels he had all the time all the money and all sure. the resources he could possibly want or use and what yeah. he came out with was the prequel trilogy the execution of it, yes, was it led, it led more to the shitty side, but he did get better towards the end. He had all the time and all the money in the yeah. world, and if he was yeah. the greatest filmmaker in the world, I don't, I don't, I don't. Anyway, um, so going back to the original question, um, yeah. is there a movie that Disney or Lucas or anyone can make that's going to give us that same Star Wars feelings we had as a kid? Because my sort of thesis might be that fans need to let go a little bit in order to meet Disney halfway. I think Disney has struck more gold than misses, personally. Uh, I mean, I think Marvel is obviously their big entity. But I kind of dig, the like, out of the trilogy, the first one, there's lots to like. The second one tries enough interesting things that I really like it, but I understand the criticism. And the third one is just kind of a misguided mess. And that's just because J.J. Abrams knows how to start a story, sometimes just can't quite stick the land, and he's even admitted to this. Well, I, I was talking shit about Lucas. At least Lucas understands the structure of a trilogy, in that, you know, there'll be a characters that will have an arc through the three movies that we will follow, and there will be changes made in their characters and rising and falling of, of you know, stakes. But all within the same universe, which is established in the first movie, which is sort of brought into like the forefront of high stakes and, and, and usually cliffhanger, scary ending for the second one, to the usually crowd-pleasing resolution of the third one, in which the character arcs are all satisfied. I think the new Disney trilogy completely failed in that, and obviously, as I said before, I think the new Halloween trilogy completely failed in that. But that was the goal. That yeah. was the goal. And yeah. uh, again, like they're going to make money by putting Star Wars on the property. They don't really need to try as hard as I think they have been trying. Yeah. Which brings me back to, is the problem the fans? Is the problem Disney? Is it both? I will say it's a combination of both. Yeah. Um, because sometimes when you're trying something new, it just won't hit, and then that fans will cry. We want, you know, we want lightsaber fights. We want this. We want that. Where, you know, great fantasy, sci-fi, horror films, the ones that change the rules are the ones that stay forever. 
no one is really going to revisit uh, Rise of Skywalker again. I, I really don't think so. What's, what's the first of that series again? The Force Awakens? Yes. That one will probably have a lot more repeat viewing as long as Halloween Kills with the new trilogy because it gave us more of the same and we love that. But we as fans, we need to be challenged because then we get things like Empire of the Strikes Back or, you know, it felt like Force Awakens, people complained it was too the same, right? And yeah. then The Last Jedi was too different. And yeah. then The Rise of Skywalker, nobody knew what they wanted. Not the filmmakers, yeah. not the fans, but it was already in production. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, I feel bad for some of the cast members who got left out, hung out to dry, or, or abandoned if they didn't feel the fan response was there. Um, I think... Again, you're going to make your money with the Star Wars product. If you're going to advertise a new trilogy, map out a new trilogy and stick to yeah. it. Either film right. it all at once or just be stubborn about it. Yeah. This is the Star Wars you guys are getting and like deal with it. Don't get freaked out if the fans throw a tantrum. Because yeah. let's be real, Star Wars fans are going to throw a tantrum no matter what. Well, that, there is that. And history will be kind to some of these movies. I, we, we both live in a world where we know people that will defend Halloween 3 season of The Witch. Yeah. And I'm sorry, people, that movie is terrible. <laughs> and it's not because Michael Myers is not in it. It's just, yeah. it just doesn't work. <laughs> there's, there's just things about the script and the execution that, like, just, they don't work. <laughs> Fucking, like, not the hieroglyphics, but the, the, the Stonehenge. Stonehenge! Yeah. Enough about the Stonehenge. Anyways. But... Um, I think that, like, you're not going to capture the magic that we felt as kids watching the movie because we are not kids anymore. Our brains do not attack these movies in the same analytical way. When I was yeah. a kid, I wasn't like, how come we can hear explosions in space? Or, or yeah. you know? But there's also, like, these stories get recycled and they're universal. Like, it's, you could argue it's the Christ story in a lot of ways, too. Around, like I said, it's more Merlin and. King Arthur, but that story has been recycled over and over again, so people do have that connection to it, and always will, uh, I will argue. Um, I will argue that where Halloween, this new series, dropped the ball is they leaned too much into the soap opera. I loved a lot of the ideas, like they were literally taking ideas out of my head, and they put it on the screen. Even like the end credit song of Ends with uh, Blue Oyster Cult, Don't Fear the Regret, I thought, wouldn't this be a good time? Aww. It's just that you also forgot that you're making a slasher movie. <laughs> so. Horror movie fans are virulent too, but I mean, they waited through, you know, Halloween 7 and Halloween Resurrections, and they're still going to watch. And I believe that that is true of Star Wars. But oh, yeah, what Halloween doesn't back. do that Star Wars creators seem to do is listen to the crazy nutcases in the audience saying yeah. more 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 say what you will about halloween ends they made their own strong choices i think yeah. they were wrong choices but yeah, they no, didn't say this you. is what the people would want this is what they would expect yeah. they consciously went in a different dumb direction but yeah, no, uh, that's think. something that star wars has learned that they can't really do that safely yeah, no, I think you're, you're pretty accurate in your statements there. Um, I do, but here's a controversial statement, because where I teach, I like mention Star Wars, and three-quarters of the kids have not seen the Holy Trilogy, yeah. and they have not seen, I do think there's going to be an end date 
for society in Star Wars. I know there's like May the Fourth be with you, and but I do think at some point it will disappear, and I do think the Halloween movie series will live on just because the mere fact is every year we will have Halloween. Well, I want uh, to get excited about Star Wars in the way I used to be, but like. Yeah. Between the oversaturation that seems to be suddenly happening and just the the grossness of the fan reaction, it's almost like the internet revels in its criticism more than it revels in its fan. Oh yeah, oh yeah, no, no, With that, that's, yes, we are highly critical of society. Yeah, it's you know what? It's hard doing art. Like you can fall flat on your fucking face. And look, I'm criticizing them too. Like, I'm right there part of it. But I do consider myself a fan. And it's not that I don't have respect for the work that they did. I don't think it's easy to make these types of movies. And the amount of money that they're playing with and the amount of pressure on them to deliver the product must be immense. So, like, I I don't default hate the creators of these movies. But um, I think officially, and this sucks to say, but I do believe it, Make your movie and ignore the internet. Yes. Yep. Yes. Absolutely. Yep. Because we are, I can hear we can be our worst enemies. Yep. Yep. I think that is also a fair statement. I will always give a film at least half a point for originality and try something new. Even if you fall flat on your fucking face, I released, like, Southland Tales. (laughs) Awful movie. A movie that's very hard to decode. A big swing. It's a big fucking swing, and it's like, and it's, it's not even a so bad like the Room movie or Trolls Two, which I also have deep affection for. Like I do admire all filmmakers on some capacity because a you've done something that I have not done, something that I dream of and probably will not do. Who knows? Anyways, but. There are people who disagree with me, but I feel a certain safety in Disney having Star Wars in that we may not get fantastic Star Wars, but I don't think we'll get anything worse than the trilo- the, the prequel trilogy. I really don't. So if that's our bar, if that's our bottom, or at least it is for me, again, it has its defenders, then I feel like Star Wars is in a safe place. But if Star Wars is in a safe place, I feel like I should be more excited about it. And I'm just not anymore. Yeah, I do fear, though, because you do talk about oversaturation. We do live in a world where there is now a cancelled Star Trek. There was a Star Trek sitcom. Like, they tried it as a comedy show, and it was awful. I do wonder at some point if we'll get that with Star Wars. Like, yeah. something that's just too kiddie, too stupid. Like It's a huge world. You can have an adventure for the kids on one planet... And you can have a hard, scary adventure for adults on another one. I mean, really, the palette is wide open. They can do anything. But what they're trying to do is please the fans. And my thesis is the fans cannot be pleased. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Yes. But you can do interesting stuff and strike a gold. Like Rogue One is, a, is you quote unquote, you know, a men on, like, uh, people on uh, a mission. Uh, they used to say man on a mission, like, not quite the dirty dozen, but of that ilk. Um, and it gets the I, job done. Yep, yep, yep. But um, a lot of people like Rogue One and for that sort of same thing where it was different, it was darker, it was thrilling. Um, but still but in that, our world. Yep, 
Darth Vader lose his shit at the end. <laughs> have you seen the Obi-Wan series, by the way? I have not. Do yourself no. a favor. It redeems, it almost redeems the trilogy. Well, I guess I should check it out. Yeah, anyway, no, I, think, I think we've accomplished what I wanted to accomplish here. Okay, it's, it's, we have we have chatted for half an hour. That's yeah. awesome. Nothing will stand in our way. I will finish what you started. There are stories about what happened. there could have been a bigger hype around a movie than The Force Awakens. It's probably up there with one of the biggest hype movies of my lifetime. Like, the the, the fervor for it was so big, it just would have been impossible in a lot of ways to live up to the hype. Disney now owns Star Wars, and yes, Disney is just slowly closing its fist over the entire entertainment industry. Soon, there'll be nothing that it doesn't have its fingers in. But here we go. What is the new era of Star Wars going to be? And again, I'm trying to say, like, at the time, we're coming off of the backs of the prequels, which I've been very public about not being at all happy with. <laughs> so, uh, generally speaking, I remember my experience walking out of the theater being quite positive when I first watched it. But, going back to our discussion of Han Solo, it was very safe. I think, like, they knew what they had, they knew it was a cultural phenomenon, and they didn't want to piss off the fan base. So, they had a few ideas, they had a few characters they wanted to introduce, but for the most part, they're going to give us exactly what we want. We're going to give us our full-on Star Wars nostalgia buzz. And it really fed the demon for that. Now, I really liked it at the time it came out, but it's interesting seeing now that some years have gone by coming back to watch it again. I like that the movie seems to be excited about being a new Star Wars entry in the film. Like, uh, seeing the ruins of all these Star Destroyers and these des desert drifts really does sort of spike my imagination and make me think, yeah, there's just all these endless worlds that can be explored in, in, in Star Wars. And goody goody, here we are again. We're meeting Ray, Daisy Ridley, this uh, abandoned woman who 
recovers scrap metals and uh, is, you know, waiting for her family to come back and find her or waiting for adventure to find her. And, of course, it does in the form of this adorable BB-8 robot. I have traditionally not been as big a droid fan in the Star Wars universe as a lot of people. Uh, I mean, everybody likes C-3PO and R2-D2, especially when we were kids. But it's not the essential ingredient to Star Wars, if you ask me. The whole droid subculture is not as fascinating to me as a lot of other things. But I have to say I am pretty much on board completely with the new BB-8 design and he's got personality and spunk. He still makes a bunch of noises and squeals, just like R2-D2, but he's fully fledged. And uh, he lands in Ray's lap, and she doesn't know what she's got. But, of course, he has plans, or a map within him, that will lead to Luke Skywalker. And her life is about to change. We also, of course, introduced to uh, Finn, this John Boyega character, which of all the new things of the new trilogy that I was curious about, was to see behind the mask of a stormtrooper for the first time. This is a guy who was raised to kill for the Empire and decides to defect, decides he can't do it. And what is it about this guy? Why does he see something that the rest don't? What made him special? The frustration of the movie is that it doesn't really answer any of those questions. But the rewards of the movie is that it is pretty entertaining. If you've seen Star Wars, which I think everybody has, I think you've kind of seen The Force Awakens. And yes, with each passing rewatch of the movie, that becomes more and more obvious. Um, But I got to admit, you know, the first time I saw Harrison Ford walk uh, onto the screen, standing next to Chewbacca and saying that he's home on board the Millennium Falcon, I, uh, I got chills in the theater. I was really happy to see it. I was really happy to be watching a Star Wars movie. And as I'm sorry to spill the beans going forward, as it would turn out, when I left the movie theater here, I was like, now that they've gotten this over with, now I'm really excited to see where they go from here. They've set the table. They've introduced us some characters. They've sparked my interest. But in a lot of ways, it's like a teaser for a meal to come more than a full meal itself. I like The Force Awakens, but like a lot of the new era Star Wars, I just like it. I don't love it. I'm really interested. How much are we going to talk about these films? And how much are we going to talk about the trilogy? Because I think that they are two different but intertwined discussions. I am strongly of the belief that the the trilogy, the Star Wars sequel trilogy, is less than the sum of its parts. If you were to take the average score of uh, these three movies, The Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, and Rise of Skywalker, and like average them out, that score would be higher than how the trilogy itself uh, came together. Kind of like with Solo... I definitely want to make an appeal to the outside forces of this. And you actually uh, really well summarized it, Larry. Um, I think rebooting Star Wars is an incredibly thankless task. For all of the accusation that J.J. Abrams gets for like, oh, he's not original. This is just the, this is just a a new hope again. uh, Da, 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 da. It is, how do you even begin to make a film like this where it's been 
10 years since the last Star Wars with the expectation that Star Wars was never coming back. You need to make something that is, you need to make something that's safe. You have to. You, you can't whip out, you know, uh, Jodorowsky's Star Wars on their first introduction. Um, you do need to do something that's new, though. This movie is not just a retread. Like, we were talking about how safe Solo is. This movie is... Maybe it's not any more or less safe than Solo, but I do think it is more experimental. Seeing behind the mask of a stormtrooper, seeing a dark side person who is guilt-ridden and wants to be a, a good person, um, seeing the uh, the death of a major uh, trilogy character, maybe that's safe, maybe that's not, but these are new ideas for Star Wars, while also... Uh, letting old fans know that it is safe to come into the fold. We're not going to rock the boat and introducing new people to what star Wars is. I think that's the piece that gets overlooked when you're figuring out this formula of how, what, what is the force awakens? Cause you need to, to be close enough to star Wars that if someone knew, and I've talked to several people who their introduction to star Wars was this movie, someone new can watch this and get what star Wars is about. And I think that that needle got threaded fucking perfectly i think that there are some elements of this that are less inspired i'm not a huge fan that there's another death star but i also think that for the people everyone loved this movie when it came out i think that it, it was only later on and especially i feel like in retrospect after the backlash of the last jedi that people started really digging into it uh I, I i'm worried about this trend that i would say of the internet uh Hey, you know, it becomes an echo chamber where everyone kind of settles on their talking points and then that becomes the opinion of a movie. And there's also this trend that I see where they people will do what I would call uh, like driver test reviews where it's like, OK, you did really good with introducing stormtroopers. The music was great. This was great. The cinematography was good. But you did have another Death Star. So I can't give you your license as a good movie. This whole movie sucks because of blank blank flaw people that hate plot holes are like this where they'll get really fixated on why didn't the eagles fly them to mordor and i don't think that is a fair way to review a movie and when you remove that kind of thinking i think the force awakens is a fucking amazing film like a legitimate not i was enthusiastic about solo and i really want to differentiate that i think this is a legitimately great movie whereas i think that solo was more well done than people give it credit for i think that the characters in this movie are interesting and they are new. And I think that the scenario set up in this movie, while there is very familiar trappings, they are interesting and they are new and they are, um, they, they are emotionally involved in a way that, uh, isn't necessary in order to make, uh, a safe star Wars film. I absolutely love the character of Kylo Ren and I love where he goes later on in this trilogy. I enjoy, and I'm sad that we didn't see more of Finn, the, the, the stormtrooper who's disillusioned with, uh, being in the first order. Ray. Yeah. She grows up on a desert planet, but it is interesting to see a new, um, a, a new, uh, let's say category of character. We've had smugglers. We've had, um, Sith and Jedi, but Scavengers is a new one, and it it involves an entirely different culture that we get to see on Jakku, a completely different uh, ecosystem. Um, there was a lot about this movie that works really well, um, and uh, I loved The Force Awakens when it first came out. I made the argument 
that it only needed to be the fourth best Star Wars movie to be a success. And I think it absolutely cleared that hurdle. What do you think, Ashley? Or, sorry, Larry, you're the host. What do you think Ashley thinks? <laughs> the Force Awakens... No, uh, The Force Awakens is the most Star Wars in any one movie that has ever been put together thus far. The approach to introducing new characters cleanly and seamlessly and in a way then merging those new characters um like for ray art ray's first scene we see what she does for a living we see that she is self-reliant uh and tough and playful all in that first little segment where she's scavenging the crashed star destroyer and then toboggan down that hill. And I love her instantly for that. Um, Poe is immediately. Oscar Isaac is charm, Kylo, charming dude. <laughs> it's a char, char, yeah, charm incarnate. Um, Kylo Ren is humorless and stoic and the way he freezes that first blaster bolt you know that you are dealing with something special here and the the whole movie you were dealing with something so special and it it really like it really shows the there there's an attention to the detail in all of the set designs and all the prop designs and all of the costuming, but in the writing and in the chemistry between the actors that in within the first 20 minutes, I am back in the world of Star Wars and I am ready to advance. And we end up on the Millennium Falcon with Han Solo, wrapping it all both the old trilogy, but handing off cleanly to... At, at the time, just looking at this, handing off really cleanly to the new trilogy, and like it is fast paced and it is fun. And my the only the only thing that looks a little bit bad, what is this? Six years later, is the Raftars. But the the sequence functions so well to instantly endear Ray to Han, which more endears Ray to the audience, to me as the audience at any rate. And by by the end, I am so ready to continue this journey with these new people who I have fallen in love with over the last two hours. I cannot believe how well this movie turned out. Well, I was skeptical. Well, maybe skeptical is not the right word. But uh, when it came down, J.J. Abrams is directing it. And like he'd said that Star Wars was his dream property to direct for a long time. But he'd already done Star Wars, or sorry, pardon me, Star Trek, and his approach. To I think Star the first Trek, sentence he did already do Star Wars in that yeah, first Star Trek. Know, that's exactly what I'm saying. Like he basically made his Star Wars movies already and just inserted into a Star Trek environment. So what was he gonna do here to to sort of up the game? Um, I like Ray. Uh, she's kind of like a spunkier, more agen- uh, energetic female, less whiny Luke Skywalker, but that's the role she's playing, right? And and 
Oscar Isaac Poe is very Han Solo-y, although he's much more in the Rebels. Like, he, he doesn't have that sort of edge, the Han Solo edge. He's definitely one of the good boys. Um, but, I don't know, like, Snoke is so clearly the uh, Emperor Palpatine, and the New Order is so clearly the Empire. And, you know, uh, our characters are going to be led into this not-Death Star with this old haggard hero mentor figure, and he's going to die in front of them. And this is this is the first Star Wars movie. This is A New Hope, entirely. Like, to a point where it's copy-paste to the, like, annoying thing that George Lucas talked about behind the scenes with the uh, prequels that he felt the need to make all the movies fucking rhyme. Like... I gave it a pass in this movie because it, basically it took any surprise out of the movie. Like, I think that it had been spoiled to me what was going to happen with Han, but I'd like to think even if it hadn't been spoiled for me, if I'd been paying a little bit of attention, you know, I knew what was going to be happening at the end of the movie. To me, what's the, the fun about the movie is, like you say, the handing, passing of the baton from the older generation of Star Wars to a younger, new generation of Star Wars, and the hope and excitement that that sort of engendered. I love that one of the first people we see in the movie is Max von Sydow. To me, right away, I was like, well, there's a good sign right out the doorway right here. Um, but what what they lacked in newness, they made up for in character and energy. I really like the character yes. of Poe. I really like the character of Finn. Like, uh, so... The, it, it, it sets the table really well for what's going forward. But my fever of excitement was maybe, a well, it sounds like it was a lot less than Ashley's and somewhat less than, than, than Eric's. But um, what made me wonder, like, okay, now that we have this, where do we go from here? For me, the most MVP player of the entire series is Adam Driver as Kylo Ren. Yes. Because here's a character that I, like... It's intensely problematic for me. Like, we didn't want the son of Princess Leia and Han Solo to be a villain. And he's a villain. Like, and at the end of this movie, spoilers, kids, but that's why we have the warning. He kills <laughs> Han Solo. Han Solo dies. And as a Star Wars fan, that's a pretty fucking big deal. And the movie very clearly, I mean, to me, would want to be a redemption story for the Rilo, or pardon me, uh, Kylo Ren character. And for me as a Star Wars fan, there is no redemption. There is no fucking coming back from killing Han Solo. Fuck you, Kylo Ren. And the only reason we get there a little bit is because Adam Driver is an amazing actor. <laughs> um, but... Uh, uh, what I see in this movie, and again, I guess I'm finishing where I started, is the exciting potential of what new Star Wars could be. And it really got wet my appetite and said, all right, Disney, well done. What else you got? Um, but it didn't pass that point for me. Um, I was I was trying to get my boys really excited about Star Wars, and in a weird way, I felt like I was dragging them to it. And this is the best points I can give for the experience of the movie. My boys were indifferent to Star Wars when they entered the theater, and they left super stoked for the next one. So they had to have been doing something right. Yeah. 
there's a lot to be said about Force Awakens, but I mean, I I could go into like each scene and what I appreciate from it and what I don't. Um, the, like, I'm not going to argue that, that there being another Death Star was a good idea. And if I could change one thing about the movie, that would probably be it. But again, I think that introducing a whole generation to the concepts of Star Wars, including big super weapons, including Death Star trench runs, it's tough. And I think maybe maybe JJ was just the right guy for the job. I do think that it is a more inspired movie than it seems like at first glance. Like I do think that it has more of its own ideas that are just wrapped in the trappings of original trilogy content than it would seem uh, at first glance. And I, like I said, like uh, much like with solo, uh, uh, the more I watch force awakens, the more I, the more I think that it is, it stands on its own merit outside of what conventional wisdom would dictate. Well, and I do want to give points to John Boyega. Like, whatever yep. I can yep. say about Finn, the character, John Boyega, the actor, the performer, absolutely brings it here. He sort of, like, introduces us to the world and brings us into the new era of Star Wars. And I think he does so really well. But I also think it's telling that he's kind of one of the main characters outside of Rey, and we've barely talked about him. I Did he do any... Was it Attack the Block and then he was in this? Or did he... Do you know if he did any projects in between? That's a big jump. That's a really big jump. Um, I mean, I could talk about Finn for a really long time. Actually, I will. Um, <laughs> no, I, I we, we haven't mentioned him. We we're kind of glossing over the bigger picture of this movie. I do think that he is... Uh, I... I don't necessarily agree that, uh, like, Rey is just another Luke Skywalker. I think that the more you try and do, like, a Venn diagram, the less you'll find that they actually overlap. It's just that she ends up being the Jedi character. And if we can't have someone end up being the Jedi character, what are we doing with reintroducing Star Wars? I will say... But by that, do John you mean, Eric, though, John sorry, sorry to cut in here, but by that, do you mean she initially has no awareness that she has any force powers at all. And by the end of the movie, she has whatever force powers she needs in any given scene to get what she needs done. Because that trajectory, I'm sorry, is absolutely identical. That's very similar. But personality-wise, I think they're very different. Right. Um, I think if, if Ray she's is not any, like anyone... She, she's not... Uh, she's somewhat idealistic, but she's very tough and very take care of herself if she's similar to any of the original trilogy characters in terms of character she's most like leia right yeah that's not and honestly han a little bit um the it's an interesting blend i will say like i i'm gonna get back to uh finn you can't get me off track but i will say for uh for ray uh, there is a lot of criticism about like oh she doesn't know she has the force and then all of a sudden she's throwing lightsabers around and doing uh jedi mind tricks but for each one of her force power discovery like she does not know she has the force other than some like intuition things about which buttons to press during the wrath tar scene and stuff like that she's introduced to the concept of the force when she touches the skywalker saber uh and maz kanata kind of walks her through that she is introduced uh then to the idea that 
the force uh, can be the path to uh, like mind tricks because in the interrogation scene with Kylo Ren, it's very subtly done. It's mostly done through the sound design, but Kylo Ren does like the mental probing of her where he goes through and he uh, pulls out her dreams. She's having of this Island that it turns out that Luke's on and stuff. And you can hear the sound design and she is experiencing that. And then there is a moment where it flips and she starts doing to him what he is doing to her. And she, taps into that like force energy and then she reads into his mind which catches him off guard but she's learning from him and that is the thing that she uses when she does the mind trick on the guards you can hear the same sound design uh where she's trying she knows that she has the power to go into people's minds because she just did it to kylo ren because he just showed her how to do it similarly at the end with the lightsaber like she did not know you could move things with the force until kylo ren threw her at a tree using the force similarly like it's really interesting because I guess we have Vader force choking someone in a... Go ahead. And in and in the end of their duel, I don't think that she realizes that she's using the force to fight him until he tells her that you need a teacher. I can show you the ways of the force. And that's when she realizes that that's something that she can really... T- she could do the spider sense thing of having it just kind of make her a, a ninja. Um, in terms of like force development in a new hope, we have Darth Vader force choking a person. And that's kind of the only hint we get at force telekinesis. Otherwise it's just like you can, it's enhanced instincts and it lets you talk to Obi-Wan Kenobi, the ghost, the empire strikes back when Luke is, uh, in the Wamp's, uh, Wampa's, uh, cave. That is the first time. And I believe that's the first time for Luke that we see someone pull something to them. Like, the quintessential force power wasn't introduced until the second movie. Um, and I think that there is a lot of uh, a lot of gray area about what the force can do or not. It's like you said, like, it's basically magic. Um, the, the Emperor being able to shoot lightning out of his fingers, I don't think that's contiguous with what we had seen of the force until Return of the Jedi. And I will say, like, Kylo Ren stopping a blaster bolt with the force, I think makes more sense as a force power than Darth Vader being able to absorb Han shooting at him through his glove. That, I don't know, he can do it, it was done in The Empire Strikes Back, but the boundaries of the force are very malleable, and it's very malleable, and so with that in mind, I do think this movie does do an adequate job of establishing parameters with which the characters learn their force uh, specifically, Ray, wh- where she learns her uh, her force abilities. Uh, Finn is a character that we had not seen in a Star Wars movie, in that his motivations are inherently uh, selfish but purely understandable. Where he is trying to escape the First Order, he he is done being a Nazi. Uh, he uh, the brainwashing didn't take, and he has a driving fear of he just needs to escape them, and that is throughout the movie. Uh, his absolute driving uh, force. And I think that is, it is unique to Star Wars to that point. Like we've not seen someone trying to get away. uh, Like we haven't seen the fugitive uh, in Star Wars to the past. And it, it leads to one of my favorite moments in the movie, which is on Takanada, uh, Maz Kanada's planet where there's the, the bar and the first kind of skirmish between TIE fighters and X-wings. Um, Kylo Ren finds, uh, Rey, she tries to shoot him with a gun, it doesn't mean anything to him because he's a fucking Jedi. Um, he captures Rey and walks away with her, and we have, this is a credit to, I think, the writing, the direction, and definitely to John Boyega, 
John Boyega's trying, like, he's fighting his way through the Stormtroopers. He's trying to find Rey. He sees Kylo Ren has her, and he gives everything to run after her. And it's, I think it's such an underrated moment because it is him overcoming all of his fear and his anxiety and his main goal to complete his character development where he cares more about someone else than himself enough that he runs after uh, and... Kylo Ren must scare him shitless given what he's been through and it does not matter because at this point he is a different person than at the beginning of this movie such that he will ostensibly sacrifice himself to try and help his friend um, so it's and I, like I, I, in Star Wars when Han Solo was just in it for the money but at the last minute he realized that he cared about these people and that he couldn't abandon them in their time of need but Han Solo was not deathly allergic to Imperials. I think that's the bigger difference is that it's like, it's like if, I don't know, like it's like overcoming a phobia almost. Like there's this mental barrier that Finn has had with the trauma he's had from the First Order that he overcomes to go help his friend, which I think... Everything I think in is him like, says run and the movie makes him not run. No, I absolutely yeah. get it. Uh, I want to I wanna not go over a half an hour on any of these reviews if I can help it. Ashley... <laughs> I, I, is there something more that you'd like to say? I feel like we've been uh, giving you the short end here. Um. I, I guess not. <laughs> I'll, I'll, look, I'll look back anything that, I guess, if, if any... If anything comes to mind. Look, I just wanted later to... Later movies, but... Yeah, it's tricky. Um, there's just... So much potential here, and uh, I just wanted to mention really quickly, like, one of the things that they could have used and didn't about the movie. Uh, the scene that we keep on going back to, the Rathtars. Uh, <laughs> these bounty hunters who come, and they have, uh, they have it in for Han Solo. All of those guys were from this movie called The Raid, and The Raid Redemption. They're these amazing martial arts performers. And somebody in Star Wars saw that movie and said, we need to get these guys to be in our Star Wars movie. And they spared no expense and they got them. And they did nothing with them. Now, the, the, I'm still happy to see them and it's still fun that they're in the movie. But in the weird way that it's emblematic of a lot of the stuff about the Disney era Star Wars is like, they spare no expense. They do the best that they can to give you what they think is Star Wars. But they're not necessarily using these people for their best abilities. I think that's the problem with Finn. The idea of Finn as a character is great, but we don't really get that, especially going forward. Whatever we were going to get out of Finn, I feel like we got it from this movie. <laughs> and this goes back to what I'm saying about the trilogy versus the movies. Yeah, I suppose. Then we're going to move on to the next chapter. But uh, I think that what I didn't expect about The Force Awakens, which ends up holding true, is that really... Nothing changes for our characters in these arcs moving forward. The Ray we meet today is the Ray we get for the rest. The Poe we met today is the Poe we get for the rest. The Finn we get, well, we'll discuss. But yeah, I think we should move on to the next movie. Okay. When I found you, I saw raw, untamed power. And beyond that, something truly special. 
inside me has always been there. Then I was awake. And I need help. I've seen this raw strength only once before. It didn't scare me enough then. It does now. So the probably uh, the most controversial of the Disney era Star Wars movies, I think we can say, is The Last Jedi. If there's a movie that has caused the most amount of conflict and ire and difference of opinion amongst the spectrum of the fans, it's got to be The Last Jedi. Ryan Johnson is now the director. Ryan Johnson's done some interesting movies before this, like Brick, like Looper. It's interesting choice. And again, like I say this again and again, like I like the choices you're making. I'm not sure why you got this guy, but I like him and way to go. And they basically said, you know, make your movie. And he looked at The Force Awakens, and I, I, I've talked about it in the past as being analogous to being a not-great improv partner. When you're doing an improvised scene, as, as we know, Ashley, usually you try to be receptive to what you're given. So if someone says, I'm sick of all this rain, you don't say, what are you talking about? It's not raining. That might be quote-unquote funny, but it's a block. You're blocking your partner, right? Ryan uh, Johnson is a great filmmaker and he's a great sci-fi filmmaker, but he is not a good improv partner. Almost everything set up by The Force Awakened is either ignored or has the door harshly slammed on it. And not only does the movie like believe that this is the path to being brave and this is how to move forward with Star Wars, it keeps complimenting itself for it throughout the movie with the themes of you have to destroy the past to create the future, which weirdly seems more like the attitude that the Empire would have than, than, the, than the Jedis. But here's the thing I will say about Ryan Johnson. This took balls, okay? All of these questions we wanted to know. Who is Finn? Why did he come to this point where he needed to make this change and escape from the Empire? No, we're not going to learn about that at all, <laughs> okay? Um, why do you... Um, or what was the point of Snoke? Who is Snoke? Like, uh, I remember people were speculating in the first movie because we only see this holographic image of him. Maybe it's going to turn out that he's small and diminutive like Yoda or something. Like... What's the deal with Snoke? He can't just be another emperor. Well, that storyline is going to dead end very abruptly, right? It just, in the effort to make this movie the most different, innovated, innovative, you know, risk-taking Star Wars it could be, it kind of became so different that it doesn't feel connected to the previous movie. And in the overcorrection moving forward, the subsequent movie doesn't feel connected to this movie either. This sort of feels like a complete, separate, different 
depending on who you ask, failed or not failed experiment. As a theatrical experience, as a theatrical entertaining experience, controversially, I will say this was the most fun I've had in a Star Wars movie. Because I had no idea what I was going to see scene for scene. I was absolutely at a loss. Unlike Force Awakens, where I basically knew the whole movie within the first 20 minutes of the movie, this movie got me, what? What is happening? I don't know. I'm completely at a loss. And there's a scene late in the movie, and I'm sitting next to my sons, where the Empire says, I want every gun we have at that man, at Luke Skywalker. And my son was so excited over the roof like oh my god this is the most amazing thing i've ever seen that i just couldn't not feel that with him there's a lot of problems in the last jedi and i do think it does almost consciously undo some of the work that was done in the first movie um and i do think the entire b storyline and so i'm trying to find the name of the actress uh john boyega and um Kelly Mary Tran, Rose uh, Tico. Uh, yeah. The whole B story with those two characters and the gambling planet and their mulligan chasing, like that entire B plot of the movie is garbage. Like, you could remove all of it and it doesn't progress the story. We don't learn anything. I mean, we know that, that Rose really likes him and they, that they've got this dynamic between the two of them. But as far as serving the story... As far as learning anything about Finn, as far as us contributing to the narrative of The Last Jedi, your entire B-plot is, to my mind, useless. But I had a lot of fun with the A-plot. <laughs> I know that people really have strong feelings about The Last Jedi. I am entertained by it, but I think it's almost a confusion of like wrong-headed ideas next to really smart ideas. And that does make it a messy, kind of entertaining, holy shit watch. But it sort of tipped the hand that Disney didn't have a plan with this trilogy. And you approach a trilogy differently than you approach a movie. There's a goal. There's an arc. There's things to be set up and knocked down. And this movie tells us, sorry guys, we have Star Wars, but we don't have a plan. That is where I start with The Last Jedi. I guess you've really set me up for success because, like, I'll appease some people if I really like it, and I'll appease some people if I really hate it. Um, I, The Last Jedi, I, the issue is that almost, almost more than any other movie, maybe Rogue One, uh, in this uh, set, it has such high highs and such low lows. Um... I think that there is some of, like, the weirdly, and I'm going to stand by this, some of the best writing in Star Wars surrounding some of that A-plot stuff. Um, there is also very, very baffling decisions. And I'm going to try and really keep my summary short so we can talk about the movie itself. Um, but I do think that uh, this is, you nailed it. Like, this is emblematic of, like, the, the beginnings of the issue of the trilogy, even if the movie itself doesn't succumb to the flaws uh, as harshly given, uh, looking at it as its own thing. Um, I think that there, I think this movie would stand the test of time a little bit better for the parts that don't work if 
the next movie honored it in the way that it did not honor The Force Awakens. By the time we get to Rise of Skywalker, I'm sure we're going to talk about the actual, the absolute zigzagging of tone and direction and all of that stuff. I think that what I'll say for The Last Jedi is that I think it very successfully introduces some daring new ideas. And I think it introduces those more successfully than it fails at uh, the parts that fall on their face. Ashley, what do you think? I think that The Last Jedi is excellent. Oh. Um, as, as someone who, who the, admittedly, I watched Star Wars for the Jedi plot lines and the... Sorry, the Jedi plot lines and what? Sorry, you froze. A lot of... The, so that A plot in this movie, for me, is just bang on. Just beautiful exploration of the Force and what to be disgruntled in the Force and what it is to be discovering it. Um, and the major misstep in the B plot is, I think that really breaks a lot of the suspension of disbelief of Finn and Rose getting to Cantabite, having this whole adventure. I'm sorry, actually, you back, cut out there. Getting on. I, I apologize. You cut out there. The greatest flaw in the B plot was, sorry, you cut off is that they um, specify the timeline that is taking place during. I think without that, it would be a lot easier to suspend your you know, belief that uh, Finn and Rose go whole side quest and meet up back up with the Rebels and try and infiltrate the Star Destroyer. But I, I do think that all of the characters, they have smaller arcs in this movie, but they do have arcs. Um, Ray becomes more unstable in being a, a purely light side being kylo ren becomes more unstable in his place in the dark side even though he does rise to be supreme leader poe learns about leadership um and i think the end of this movie really set him up to be in charge of the rebellion going forward um and i think that finn actually does grow from being someone who's you know who in the by the end of the Force Awakens was willing to risk himself for one person to be someone who is willing to risk himself for a, a group for an idea uh, where he wouldn't have before. Well, and at least this time he's volunteering. You know, <laughs> he wasn't stolen as a child and forced into this machine of the Empire or the the New Order. I have a real hard time not calling it the Empire <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, I, I will, like, I, I agree with all of that. I do think, I do think it's unfortunate that the, the, the beginning and the end of, uh, Finn's stuff, I think is clear. And I would even say like fairly well handled, but the getting there, like the actual arc itself, I think is a little bit muddled. I almost feel like for as much as everyone hates Cantobite, I almost feel like the B plot taking place entirely on Cantobite for whatever reason would have maybe been better. I, I, I think any kind of focus would have. Um, improved it because the the point that the the gambling planet is trying to make is that uh, there are people like it's about ro- war pro- profiteering, which is a concept not really explored in Star Wars before, which is interesting. But I think that the issue is we like, like Rose is like, hey Finn, you can't escape. You need to go do this uh, B plot. Finn is like, this place is cool. Keep in mind, I've been a storm an ex stormtrooper for about three days, and I've never seen anything like this. This is cool. And then she's like, ah, but you know they really beat the dog horses, and that's not great. 
for the people there, like I get, you can say that they're war profiteers, but we never see them do anything other than enjoying their vacation. And it, like, I wouldn't want someone to run a pile of horses during my stay at Vegas. And so like by the end of it, they say the things that would satisfy the plot points for like, this is an arc, but I don't think we see the stuff, which is why Canto Bite doesn't land as much for me. As well, since we're talking about it, um, the effects on them riding the foggiers out through uh, everything is awful. And it's really baffling to me because there's some things you can't correct for in a movie no matter how much money you have. But effects is not one of them. And I think that Rose and Finn look kind of terrible riding on... like They, they look like they're green screened while riding a mechanical bull. Um, and someone should have looked at that and either cut to them less spent a million dollars to make it look better or whatever, but it feels, it feels very uh, low budget for a Star Wars movie. Honestly, I have to say, every time we cut to Rose Finn or Benicio Del Toro, my interest in the movie just dropped. Like, and it didn't pay off even. Like, I might have, if it was all rewarded at the end and there was a point to their whole thing... And even to the end, when Finn goes to sacrifice himself, but Rose can't let him do it, I was conflicted about that, too. Was that the right thing to do, Rose? And was that the right thing for your character to do? And what did that mean going forward? Again, I don't feel like any of these questions are asked or answered in a proper way. What I do connect with is Poe's story and his sort of clash with Laura Dern's character, Vice Admiral Holdo, who was like... Real problem is all she has to do to have Poe on her side is keep him in the fucking loop, right? Like, that's all he's asking for. But uh, she's going to do it her way, and that's the way it's got to be. And in spite of the fact of him, you know, having an armed insurrection, she never loses respect for him. And that's entertaining, but it's not credible. It's one of these problems that just could be solved with a conversation, but the movie never does it. That said, I love the performance of Poe. I love his character, like how he can't stand that they're doing the wrong thing. And he's good. If this is what it takes to get things done, this is what it takes to get things done. And I, I respect that. Um, another controversial think- thing that I have to bring up with our Star Wars nerds. Admiral Akbar is unceremoniously sucked into the vacuum of space. Good idea, bad idea. Is your sound off, Ashley? Yeah, I want to say real quickly, since we're talking, like, before moving off from uh, Poe, I will say, like, there are several moments in this movie where I'm like, ah, the movie had the answer to make this better. Laura Dern, uh, or Haldo and Poe is definitely one of those things where, uh, like, there is a reason for her to not trust Poe. That is, they are not, the, the, the fleet is being tracked uh, through light speed, which is a, a concept which I guess is new in Star Wars. The idea is that if they don't watch you go to light speed, you're home free or whatever. Um, and so, like, Holdo should just be like, hey, we might have a mole. We don't know what's going on. I'm keeping everyone at arm's length. And that would be an interesting plotline. Even if they don't have a mole, just, like, approaching that idea. I always like the notion before, I don't know why, but while I watched the movie the first time, I thought that there was going to be more payoff to this lightspeed tracking thing other than they literally invented a lightspeed tracker in the ship. What my idea was always like, it would be neat if they were tracking the the little beacon that Leia has for Rey. I think that would be a cool like betrayal of 
uh, the good guys doing the right thing. I think that would be a neat story movie, but they don't do that. There isn't a, there isn't a mole. There isn't any payoff to trying to slow them down. There isn't any uh, consequences to Benicio del Toro's character betraying them. There's, there's nothing. Also, like, what is it with? They go to this planet to find a code breaker to hack into what should be the most secure thing in the galaxy, and they don't find it, but they wind up in the same cell as the next guy who's as good or better. Uh, it's like, I guess code code breakers, yeah, they just, code breakers, they're just a dime a dozen. You go through a, a cantina, there's going to be a smuggler and a dark side and a code breaker. They're just everywhere. But that is the B plot, and like I said, I hated that. Uh, the A plot works, and it does have a payoff, as far as I'm concerned, in one of the most epic explosions in Star Wars history. Yes. But I yes. still have to go back, I'm sorry, to Admiral Akbar. <laughs> yeah, that hurt no. my feelings a little bit. I have to admit, that hurt my feelings a little bit. Not that he died, but how he died. I think it should have mattered more. It was a plot point to get them to have this new character be in charge. Which, let's talk about Akbar, and then let's talk about how Leia is alive and Akbar isn't. Ashley, what do yeah, you think about Akbar? If they could have seen into the future, that would not have been the case, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty neutral about Akbar. Right. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. But uh, if any, if anything, it, it does sort of go it, it our well-established characters as long as they're not too too important. Um, yeah, I mean, he's I think most the way you do that, saying it's a trap. I get that he's not a yeah. big important character. I just feel like if you're going to do that to the fans, if you're going to kill a quote fan favorite character, it should count for something. And I just kind of felt like, yeah. oh, let's kill Admiral Akbar. That's that's as much thought as I went think, into it, it seems like. I think that the way you do it is the way that Han died, where it plays a service to the greater story. And we'll, we'll dive into the A-plot at some point shortly, uh, it seems. But uh, Han Solo dying like meant a lot for the character of Kylo Ren. Uh, whether you like that or not, because you like Han more than you like Kylo, that is what it is. But Akbar died for nothing. He died so that someone could say, like, okay... For all you fanboys that would say Akbar should be in charge, he can't be. He's dead. That's why Haldo's in charge. Um, Problematic as it may be with them killing Snoke, at least it was like shocking and it was like, uh, uh, okay, now where are we going? It, was it meant something. A yeah, fucking amazing sequence. Yeah. Um, I, what do you, what do you like? so like, Leia in space... Is such a bad moment. It's it was watching it in theaters. It was the first time I had a pit in my stomach where I was like, "Oh shit, this might be a bad movie." I don't ultimately think that for the Last Jedi is a bad movie, um, but watching like it's it's shot poorly. I think it was the bad. It was the wrong choice. Just like in terms of in the script of like, oh, Leia's sucked into space, uh, but then she comes back. Don't worry. Uh, I think that it, uh, I guess I, I'm trying not to talk about Kylo Ren and Rey because I think we're about to talk about them dedicated, but it's a great moment of Kylo Ren has a bunch of anger. Snoke just gave him a, a tongue lashing and he's going to go take it out on the rebels in his ship. And then he tells through the force like, Hey, cause his mom's there. <laughs> cause his mom is there and he's not just a jaded dark side person. He's conflicted and he can't ultimately shoot her. And then someone else does. And that moment isn't allowed to land. 
bland because instead we have this really, she might as well have been purely digital. I think there is some uh, plate shooting and some Carrie Fisher footage in it, but it's basically you're in space. There's no sense of direction, really. Um, Carrie Fisher's floating. She's been in space for a while. Leia should be dead, but it's Star Wars, so whatever. And she force pulls herself into the ship, which is... I'll talk about this a little bit in the next movie. Jedi self-propelling with the Force, for whatever reason, is a bridge too far for me. Because otherwise, why don't they just fly everywhere? Um, and this is essentially what she's when doing. when you say that the Force is fake. I don't but, know when I can... I can't help you with that. <laughs> yeah, but like... But aside from that, it looks awful. It looks like corny and cheesy and gross. Yeah... And the music treats it like it's such a big moment, and I hate it. Um, well, and that's it, what I'm talking like, about, the experience of the movie. Like, when I'm watching the movie, I could never have predicted that that was going to happen. And I didn't like that it was going to happen, but what next? Like, after Space Leia, like, what are we going to see next? In a weird way, that was the strange appeal of the movie. I have a theory about the movie, and yes, we do need to get into Ray and Kyle, but we'll get it. Um, I have a and Luke Skywalker. A lot of Star Wars fans lost this movie the second Luke flipped the st- the lightsaber over his shoulder. There's a bunch of people who was like, "That is not the reaction we wanted. We don't like this movie," and that was it, <laughs> right? I can appreciate that I like don't like all the decisions made, but that it they made big swings. They were maybe not the right swings. Maybe they weren't the right move, but. It was ambitious. They were trying some shit. And that, whether successful or not, is the thing that I do respect about The Last Jedi. Now, do we want a romance between uh, Rey and Kylo Ren? Yes, we do. yes! See, I, I guess I'm alone on that because I don't. I've never wanted that. And it's sort of like... I don't know, like Clarice Starling and Hannibal Lecter. To me, they are they they are not supposed to get together and make babies. They're 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 you know enemies, and it's just not the thing I wanted. And it's sort of a lot of this her because Daisy Ridley plays Ray so strong. The fact that she can't think straight because she has a force vision of him without a shirt, I don't know. It kind of pissed me off. It was like. It made her such a girl all of a sudden. Hates that that happens. No, there. She's not like she's still determined. She's still convinced that she's the one who is right, and he needs to change and get on her side. And if he can do that, then they can be together. And he is just as determined. If she can change and get on his side, then they can be together. And that is determined. And it is a beautiful tug of war where they are so connected that they can't let go. But he they killed are so Han Solo, that they can't Ashley. Be together. <laughs> he killed Han Solo. <laughs> Han Solo sacrificed himself to implant the conflict so that he could possibly be redeemed. If she if she ended up hooking up with Kylo Ren, she could never look Chewie in the eye for the rest of her life. Damn it. Why not? Kylo Ren is Han Solo's kid. Like, he killed Han Solo, sure, and Chewie likes, clearly, because Chewie shot him, um, he clearly likes Han more than he loves Ben. But. But. Chewie did. 
sorry for the interruption, but uh, Ashley was about to say that Chewie did try to kill Kylo Ren or shot him, but not mortally. And he seemed to be in a position where he could have. So maybe, maybe Chewie couldn't bear to even himself kill Han Solo's son, even after witnessing what had happened. And I'm also going to use this uh, moment to apologize for Ashley and to Ashley for the quality of her audio being a little bit spotty in this review. I'm really sorry. I don't know what happened. I know you sound like a force projection, but uh, I do think it, it does kind of even out and it is listenable in the end of it. But uh, yeah, there's some weird choppiness and the volume's in and out and you cut out a few times, but uh, uh, I'm doing the best I can. So yes, uh, big thanks, big love to Ashley and Eric for being here. And yes, we were talking about Chewie shooting and not mortally wounding his enemy instead of when he seemed to have the opportunity to do so. So that's where we are. My bad. That's his dog. <laughs> you don't think he I, was trying to kill I, him? Really? No. <laughs> I think it was a reaction. I don't like I wouldn't I wouldn't say definitively one way or another, but it definitely looks like a a, a reaction coming out of pain. One thing I'll say vis-a-vis uh Ray and Kylo Ren uh falling or at least like crushing on each other a little bit. It's something that actually Ashley pointed out to me in The Force Awakens. Um it's a very subtle thing, but when Ray and Kylo are standing off in the forest and he's trying to pull the lightsaber himself and it whips past him and Ray catches it he turns around and he gives her a look and it's he looks like a little into it like he gives a really small smile like like oh yeah this is gonna be interesting like he is intrigued Where by is Ray for the first here? time um and I think that the last Jedi the best thing that it does is play off that that dynamic and I think that like yeah Kylo Ren killed Han, and it upsets Rey. She is very torn about it at the beginning. But what this does, and this is, you're talking about being a good scene partner. This is being a great scene partner with the setup of The Force Awakens, because we now need to see why is Kylo, not a good guy, like it's not a good thing to kill Han and like murder a bunch of villagers to try and find a map to Luke Skywalker. But he is not the Emperor. He is not, even Darth Vader in the first few movies, he has conflict within him hmm? but that's who he wants to be especially in the forced awaken he's this petulant child i want to be darth vader and it's not going to be cool until i am damn it right he's kind of yeah. like almost adorably like <laughs> childish in his he's so, got all this power exactly he's adorably ineffectively evil yeah but again i don't see the appeal of that <laughs> the appeal is that like what what force awakens does is it adds the the motivation i guess i would say uh like uh ray is like oh why did you kill han why did you hate him and kylo ren is like i didn't hate him that wasn't the point i needed to kill him because of like the dark side school stuff but i didn't hate my dad and that's why killing him was tough for me and that's why it was important to do there's also like oh why are you part of the dark side at all and we get this really good stuff with seeing his perspective of how the night went when he turned fully dark and Luke's perspective and his perspective and going back and forth and adding those layers is the best thing that The Last Jedi does. And well, I it think kind that kind of makes the evil Luke's fault instead of Kylo's fault, right? But it's not. It's both of them, and that's the point of bouncing back and forth. It's everyone's fault. It's no one and everyone's fault. Yeah, I think that's great. That's the way to handle it. Because, like, what's the other justification for 
Kylo Ren killing all, like like why did Anakin kill all the younglings? I don't know, and I'll never know because it makes no sense. Uh, like if you this the prequels aren't well done. Why would Kylo Ren kill everyone? Because he is afraid for his own life and thinks that they're out to get him for the stuff that he's experimenting with. And there's some comics that go into like uh, a deeper level with this, but I think the film works on its own. Of he is motivated genuinely. For his positions, and that's a thing that has been missing from almost any dark side character in Star Wars thus far. And and Ray Ray gets the privilege or the privilege Ray has the benefit of seeing that, and that is where the dynamic comes from. And it's like Ashley says, they are not they're into each other, and they're convinced that the other one needs to come to their side. But that pull is an interesting character. Uh, um, uh, it is interesting in terms of the characters being motivated and it is fun to watch. And it leads to one of the coolest scenes in Star Wars, which is Kylo Ren kills Snoke and then they fight those guards in that throne room and that is rad as fuck. Well, um, again, I, I like the killing of Snoke as it was a shocking moment, but I, I, I didn't like it as in that it was further sort of solidification is that, no, they don't have a plaster man here at all, right? They, this is, they're just making it up as they go. Um, and that's good or bad, but I think that, that I think that would have helped them out in the going forward in the, in the trilogy. There are certain things that they had to deal with in the next film that they had no choice. They had some course correction that they had to do as far as Carrie Fisher dying and stuff like that, that they just had to deal with. And that was a problem that was outside that they had to deal with. A lot of the other problems that they deal with, they created themselves. And for good or bad, they were created by The Last Jedi. We have to talk about Luke. We have to talk about sassy, grumpy, drama queen, entirely makes sense based on <laughs> Return of the Jedi, enigmatic fucking Luke Skywalker. I love him. Mark Hamill, by the way, such a better actor today than he was when he played Luke Skywalker in the original <laughs> trilogy. Mark, Mark Hamill! Severely yeah. underrated actor when he played Luke Skywalker in the original trilogy. We all love and accept Yoda as a real... Yoda does not work without standing on the magnificent shoulders of Mark. I get it, Ashley. He, he's dreamy. But uh, I think he was the weakest actor in, uh, in, in the original trilogy. And I think he's one of the stronger actors in the new trilogy. Which he literally uh, he's did. He's had an, an arc as a career. Um, <laughs> He was cast like, uh, I guess it was famously the same casting session that Brian De Palma was doing for Carrie. And uh, he, the, the same casting session that was the cute boy that everyone wanted to go to the prom with was the same casting that they were looking for Luke Skywalker. They were casting the prettiest star that they could find. <laughs> and they would have, you know, Harrison Ford and, and Alec Guinness fill out the acting roles. <laughs> but that's what it felt like. I'm sorry if I'm hurting your feelings there, uh, Ashley. Uh, I, I think you're wrong, but we can disagree. That's allowed. Uh, I like bitter, angry, green milk drinking Luke, too. Like, I didn't have a problem with it necessarily. Whether or not it's what you wanted from the series, it wasn't expected. And, like, again, it was one of the wonky things about The Last Jedi. I didn't expect him to throw the lightsaber over his shoulder, but the second he did, I was like, okay, where are you going with this movie? <laughs> I think that, like him throwing the lightsaber over his shoulder, I think is definitely like 
a, a port, uh, a, uh, what do you call it? Like it's a sign of things to come in terms of like the disregard for the previous movies. If I was to fix this up, I would have maybe had him just drop it instead of being so dramatic. But outside of the transitionary phase from the Luke we see at the end of Force Awakens to sassy Luke, which I think is clearly two different characters. J.J. Abrams has like old wise Jedi Luke on the mind and Ryan Johnson, I think uh, correctly is like, no, nah, we need to do something that's more, uh, I don't know about more grounded, but I think that it does compute that Luke is done with it all and feels defeated and goes into exile and that person doesn't need to be a noble wise uh stoic character he wanted to make new jedis and make the world a better place and instead he created the most evil jedi that has existed since darth vader so yeah no he's not he's not exactly killing it um i i liked i liked the mark hamill's performance and i i, I don't mind dark luke I kind of wish it would have led somewhere better than just taking Luke off of the board. It would have been e interesting to see what what he could have. Maybe the maybe the redemption arc in the end wasn't Kylo's. Maybe it was Luke's. I mean, I think definitely it was. It was Luke's. In I, this I, movie, I, it was definitely Luke's. Yeah. I mean, I do also want to say, like, it's unfortunate because this movie feels kind of like it has four acts. Like, it, it should end kind of in the throne room and then we get all of the crate stuff, uh, which I think pacing-wise isn't great. But in terms of, uh, like, the scene itself, I think that Luke facing off with Kylo is also a very correct choice and handled very, very well. And I loved... I love that they give just enough hints that something's off so that you could guess that maybe you're not going to specifically guess that he's force projecting, but you have the pieces there without it being completely blatant. And I like all of that and uh, samurai showdown between Luke and Kylo, I think absolutely lands. And I think it is a good redemption and send off and final moment for Luke Skywalker, especially when all of the guns fire on him and he just brushes his shoulder. The only thing that confused me, because doesn't he give something to uh, Leia or, or to? Uh... Yes, he yeah, gives Leia the the, the Han dice. dice, which we know the origin story of, aren't we lucky? Right, um, that was the part of the movie that got my kids so excited. The whole standoff between you know Luke Skywalker and the entire you know every gun on that man. But again, I was just conflicted. Like every other scene in the movie, there was stuff that I liked and stuff that I didn't. I'm sorry. I think I'm going to pull the plug in because we're at 36 minutes. <laughs> uh, final thoughts? Jerry Springer's final thoughts on, on The Last Jedi? It does a lot of subversion of The Force Awakens, but not to its own detriment, some weakness in the B plot, but the A plot more. Yeah. I think I'll agree that the A-plot is one of the best Star Wars content that there is. What, uh, what are you doing there, 3PO? Taking one last look, sir, at my friends. Confronting fear is the destiny of a Jedi. Destiny. 
think Rise of Skywalker was officially the moment for me in the Disney trilogy where I'm not going to say that I full-on lost interest, but any measure of excitement that I had for the future of Star Wars has been substantially dampered by it. And, like, that is a weirdly harsh place to start, but it is just a fact. It's it's how I feel. The movie was profoundly disappointing. <laughs> um, I, actually, coming into this one, the first time I saw it years ago when it was in the theater, I had a, a sense of, like... The last one of the prequels, um, the Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, it was like Revenge of the Sith, where I was already kind of checked out, but like you might as well just get this over with. Uh, so I, I mean, this didn't, it, it didn't destroy my love of the Disney Star Wars by any measure. It was just like, oh god, okay, let's let's just do this. Well, and I wanted to talk to you about this because you, like me, have been a lifelong Star Wars fan. Like, one of your great traumatic moments in childhood is losing a Star Wars action figure on a bus, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, uh, like, we didn't like Star Wars. We loved Star Wars. We we lived Star Wars. And under that... Yeah, we, we experienced, like, those three interminable years of Han being sold to that bounty hunter and really not knowing what was going to happen. Would we ever get closure? We may never. We may never. We, we didn't know. And when you're a kid, three years might as well be ten, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so I was curious, generally, before we, we, we sharpen our knives for Rise of Skywalker, generally, how do you feel about the Disney era of Star Wars? I've been of the opinion that the original Tridge is A... The prequels is F, and so far for me, Disney's been a hard C. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I would put it around the C era. Like, when they when the first of them came out, I was pretty sure that they'd play it super safe to apologize for the prequels, which is exactly what happened. It was the same plot as the first Star Wars. Um, I liked some of, like I liked that they were going back to practical effects and some of the same lenses they used in the 70s. Um, I've had the somewhat controversial opinion that the second in this trilogy is maybe the best because at least it was trying something new um and i'm not going to defend like it was it was a bad movie but at least it wasn't about the same fucking shit it was a big swing yeah it was a big swing and a big miss um there were things about the second one that i liked and then this one um my analogy for watching the this Disney trilogy is like between Ryan Johnson and J.J. Abrams, it's like watching a, an improv comedians who just passive aggressively hate each other. They're blocking like each other. Is, I'm sorry, uh, not even a no but, it was just a no. Yeah, hard no like, every time. As I sometimes say, it was like uh, watching it was like being on a road trip with my parents. Like, <laughs> like this palpable tension. Well, I want to say a few good things about Rise of Skywalker, okay? Here's what I like about, and generally this has been true about the Disney movies, uh, the world feels more real to me than it did in anything that happened in the prequels. There was something so artificial and plastic about everything, and CGI, like obviously CGI of the prequel series, that I really appreciate the tactile reality that I'm presented with. Like, the TIE fighters and the space fights feel more real than they have to me in a long time. And the creatures feel more real to me than I have in a long time. 
And I've said in the past that this movie, especially in the first act, seems like it's all over the place and in a terrible rush. But I like the energy that they're trying to put into the movie. Like, it feels like it's a climactic third act, even though nothing that exciting ends up happening as far as I'm concerned. You can see that they're trying to imbue this sort of flat script with more energy than it kind of deserves. And I see the effort being made there. Like, it's not a catastrophe, and I think it's really easy for us Star Wars fans to fall into the vitriol, so... Yeah, I, I mean, I think the problem that they made was uh, having this big monumental revive of Star Wars trilogy that wasn't the least bit plotted out. Like, not even, okay, Ryan Johnson, you have to start here and end here, uh, and then the third one will start here and end here, and do all sorts of crazy stuff along the way, but this is our trajectory. But basically, you've got people that are just, like, having this passive-aggressive... Um, like sniping fight with their movies and then you've got the third one and not only does it have to re like close off the trilogy but also it has to introduce every single plot element so uh I, on your review for the prequels way back when you were talking about how you think the phantom menace didn't even have to be in that trilogy yeah you know kind of started with attack of the clones this one it was like the entire trilogy was in this last movie and everything that came before was like i don't know they Basically, all of it could have been accomplished in 10 minutes when they introduced the characters. It was just the, yeah, we, we had the characters set up, but everything happened here. And it's just the sin of not having a master plan. If you want to make a bunch of Star Wars movies, good, make a bunch of Star Wars trilogies. If you announce that you're doing a new trilogy, do a trilogy. <clears throat> I was talking to Lee Beckman about how there's crazy parallels between the trilogy of this Disney Star Wars and the new Halloween trilogy in which the first one was just completely fan service. The second one was flawed, but we gave it a pass because it's the middle chapter and by its very design has no beginning or ending, <laughs> right? And the third one all of a sudden introduces a bunch of new shit that had nothing to do with the previous two movies. And we're like, there was no master plan here. <laughs> we feel kind of lied to. <laughs> have an emotional reaction to it like uh, oh geez Zori Bliss came to save the day that sure is a character that I've been Im invested in her relationship with Poe like yeah. it's just like all this shit out of nowhere and it is written like someone who was raised on video games it's all <laughs> goal oriented stuff they need to find the Sith compass and then they need to keep the Sith knight and then they have to find the planet, but like, there's all these levels. They're not acts, they're not chapters, they're levels. Yeah, so I was thinking two things about it. Um, one is ungenerous and one is generous. And the generous one is perhaps overly generous, but whatever. The ungenerous one is this feels like 150 TikTok videos just stitched together. Um, so it was actually quite easy for me to watch the second time. The first time I watched it in the theater, um, and it was just torture to sit through the whole thing but this one you know i was like cooking or washing dishes or whatever i was drifting in and out and it really didn't matter because the last thing that you needed to ever know was introduced 30 seconds earlier so it's just like just watch these tiktoks it's it's just this mess um more generously though in some ways i think it's come full circle from what george lucas wanted the star wars um, world to be, which was an homage to those Saturday afternoon serials, which are just these staccato images, they're kind of slow 
Yeah. I also do think um, you can overplay your hand in fan service. Like, yeah, there's the holographic chess game that we keep seeing over and over again. And, and yeah, this time this guy's going to get not just for, force choked, but he's going to get force choked and thrown up into the room. And let's do everything that they've seen before, but just a little bit bigger. Right? Yeah, every, every Star Destroyer has a Death Star laser. Yeah. Uh, and really, as much as I was happy to see Lando Calrissian, if you're going to do that little with him, what is he doing in the movie? Well, what are those other like rebel stormtroopers doing in the movie? The ones that rode those horses that have the tusk? Like, I don't know, they just showed up. We needed... We, they didn't even need them. Like, literally nothing would have changed if they didn't show up. All I, I just, liked like, about that was to know that there were, in fact, other people who decided, you know what, being a stormtrooper sucks, and they left. The movie seems to have presented, like, this character that we were introduced to was the first guy who ever thought of doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Although I will say, as far as negative things go, um, I was, I have always been, since I watched the second one in the theater, really strongly Team Rose. Like, she was the first character in the Disney trilogy that I thought was, like, kind of charismatic, Um, because everybody else is so is like either stoic and boring or just so quippy you know Finn and Poe are gonna get executed and they're quipping with each other like oh thanks for sucking all of the tension out of this I thought Rose was a really great character and then the way like she's like oh this one I'll go along with you guys no no you've got to stay home and study Star Destroyer schematics it was like such a fuck you to Ryan Johnson and her character. Yeah, completely humiliatingly benched that character. I mean, I was really debating about her decision at the end of the the Last Jedi. Like, uh, I I really do think that was a bad decision that Rose made. But I didn't hate her character. But yeah, this just seemed in a weird way to be like fan service for the haters. There was a lot of haters for for Rose. So let's let's let the haters have their say in this movie. Um, I'm starting to be of the opinion that, like, hardcore Star Wars fans, especially trolls on the internet, they're just not going to be happy. So stop trying to make them happy and make a new Star Wars movie. <laughs> well, honestly, I mean, there, there are some problems with some of the Disney Plus stuff, but uh, The Mandalorian is much better than this. Oh, yeah. um, maybe The Book of Boba Fett. I was kind of lukewarm on that one, and it but whatever like you can strike a better balance and if you've got a creative behind it with some vision and just don't read the tweets just like make the make the trilogy that you want to make like there's something there's something very pick me about you know these star wars trilogy um just sort of desperately trying to make everybody happy that they're making nobody happy like just say fuck it we're keeping rose in she's a character now either deal with it or don't yeah um and again uh the redemption arc that they're going for here with the adam driver character as a fan of star wars in the first movie when when han solo took the obi-wan role (laughs) and died the end of the movie as a star wars fan that made this dude like the ultimate Star Wars villain. You killed Han fucking Solo. So I wasn't particularly invested in a redemption arc in this character. In fact, I I don't really think that Darth Vader's redemption arc is all that great, considering he did everything awful until the last possible second to stop the death of his only son. 
<laughs> what a great I, guy. <laughs> I, I, I actually, among the positive things, because I've got a lot of daggers that I can stick into this movie. Oh, yes. Among the positive things is I actually did like Adam Driver. I liked his chemistry with Daisy Ridley. Mm-hmm. Um, even though Daisy Ridley seemed a bit checked out, probably from six years of vitriolic Twitter hate. She just wanted to be out of this. Um, when those two were on screen together, I liked it, and I kind of bought that they had formed a bond. Like, I, I kind of felt something from their bond. And so I could sort of see him, you know, when he's going to that weird planet and fighting those guys that just showed up all of a sudden that were like level bosses but we didn't know who they were and then she used the force to hand him her lightsaber like kind of all of that stuff i liked and and that was much better for me than those billions of ships showing oh, up the no space reason. fight was actually kind of boring and like that stings yeah. that stings and look all of a sudden, the Emperor's still alive, and he has the biggest fleet of ships that ever existed. <laughs> that is terrible writing. That is just obviously terrible writing. Like, <laughs> also, the obvious question of who's aboard them, because he's using the Force to make them appear. Like, he could have just gone Lord of the Rings and said, I don't know, there's there's ghost pilots aboard, whatever. Robots. <laughs> what happened to the droid armies? We've we've seen those before. I don't. It, it, it like that whole wing of the story doesn't work for me. I think Adam Driver's a really good actor, and I think he sells some scenes that I think a lesser actor, sorry Mark Hamill, would uh, would maybe not have been able to pull off. But I give all the credit to the performances and none to the script. Um, and again, yeah, just fair. as a Star Wars fan, I, I wanted to see him defeated, not redeemed, honestly. It's just how I felt. <laughs> yeah, I, I, so I didn't mind seeing him redeemed. The problem was there was no real villain, but I, again, I'm kind of split here because another one of the few things I liked was the horror movie Palpatine. I thought he had a presence on the screen, particularly when I saw it in the theater. But also, he was a lame villain because uh, he's just like whack-a-mole Palpatine. like, who gives a fuck? And all of a sudden, I am all of the Sith. I'm like, you're not. Like, that's not what this move, the franchise has been establishing. So it would have been nice to have one final enemy that gets defeated and there's this sense of, like, I don't know, closure. Um, it could have been, honestly, it should have been, was that guy's name? Snopes? Snokes? Yeah, Snoke. Probably should have been Snoke. Yeah. Well, with the Emperor, at least they were consistent with his character and that he was always overplaying his hand. Good. Good. (laughs) You will do as I say and you will rule the world and there will be no last second catch. (laughs) Now you're my plan, Daisy Ridley, is for you to strike me down. Like, yeah, I wonder how this is going to turn out. And I mean, Snoke was just the Emperor too, but at least you had the chance to take it in a different direction with that guy. And, you know, a chance of... (laughs) Um, Look, the Carrie Fisher stuff was not their fault. They didn't plan on Carrie Fisher dying. It was very rude of her to do that. (laughs) But uh, um, Again, 
I can see just as like spitballing ideas in my head, ways that it could have been handled in a more graceful manner. They used footage from her that went unused from the first movie and some CGI alterations to kind of like plug her into the movie. If you're going to start this movie with this huge sudden retrofit, the Emperor is here, like maybe the Emperor announces his presence by killing Princess Leia, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, for sure. Like it just, there was... Again, they did the best that they could, and I think they wanted to honor Carrie Fisher, and it's hard to slap their hand for that, but uh, I don't know. It was taking me out of it because, you know, we know that that's not Carrie Fisher. Yeah, that was pretty bad, particularly the CGI flashback between her and CGI Mark Hamill. Yeah. And back to what you said about this feeling like a video game, that was a total cutscene. Exactly. Yeah, and... He, I've been seeing that more and more. A lot of people were comparing uh, the last Jurassic World movie with this one, and I think it's got because of that similar vibe. There's no real through-line plot. There's just a series of events or levels that happened, goals that yeah. need to be met, and boxes that need to be ticked off, and plot points. And, like, it doesn't feel like a movie anymore. It feels like two and a half hours of middle. Yeah, uh, I, yeah I couldn't agree more, which is why... Um it was easier to watch when it was just on in the background and I could drift in and out because, you know, it's like watching your friend play video games and you like get a beer or make popcorn or something and it's pretty easy to resituate yourself and also the movie itself, like there's no Chekhov's gun or anything like that. The movie will 100% forgive you for popping in at any place. Yeah. And uh, Ray has suddenly the new force powers to heal things. And that that's new, but that's going to come in handy in the climax of the movie. I did actually like some of the interactions that were happening on the uh, Imperial ship with the spy and everything like this. When, when the general figured out who the spy was and immediately executed him, it, it, it made me laugh out loud. I don't, I don't know. Okay, so that's like the, the executing of... Uh, yeah. Character, I um, that quick execution was the only thing about that subplot. Uh-huh. Everything about that I fucking hated. Right down to him saying, "I'm the spy." Yeah. I was like, "This is not how you were written." Watch the first two movies. He was never the spy. No, he was a, a like a completely over the top vitriolic like believer. But he, I, I did like the line. Uh, I don't care if you win. I just need Kylo Ren to lose. <laughs> And I just liked how directly he was dealt with. It was immediate, like, done. Even if you're going to do that, don't have the line, I'm the spy. Yeah, that was... The fact that you just killed their executioners kind of spilled those beans for you. That was one of the worst uh, scenes uh, of the movie, when they were, like, knelt down, going to get laser blasts in the back of the head, and they're still fucking quipping, like this is a sitcom or something. Yeah. This is very, as far as you know, the last few seconds of your life, you know. Um, and if you want us to believe that you're in danger, you have to believe you're in danger. And the movie fails at shit like this all the time. Like, no Star Wars fan in the world believed that Chewie was killed in that explosion, right? Like, 
First of all, they're not going to kill Chewbacca. And secondly, even if they were going to kill Chewbacca, it wasn't going to be an off-screen explosion sort of death. Like, it just... It was so obvious, I don't know why they tried to even make it a a thing. (laughs) Yeah, and also Chewbacca was alive in the trailer in the Millennium Falcon with Lando. So it already said that Chewbacca's living. (laughs) It's a bit of a tell. But, like, at least, yeah, like, have the actors feel the emotion. Like, you could, you, we could all know Chewbacca is alive, and if Daisy Ridley thinks that she killed him, then this can be part of her arc. And it's that much more tragic if she turns to the dark side on the mistaken belief that she'd killed Chewie. That's fine. It's like, keep the mood for more than a few seconds. I think it might be the why these... TV versions of Star Wars are working in a weird way better for them because at 25 minutes at a time they can just do whatever little blub of story they need to cover for that 25 minutes and then it's the next episode but if you just string five episodes together with no credit sequences it it's not a movie I don't know what it is but it's not a movie <laughs> so I would say like Mandalorian works really well for me because I think all of the episodes were story Generally speaking, I mean, I think Disney spent $4 billion on Star Wars, so they're going to make their money back, and, like, love it or hate it, this is the Star Wars we're getting. And as far as this revisionist history, people who are saying that, you know, give it back to George Lucas, I really don't think you were paying attention. I really, really don't think you're paying attention. But I have to say, for a climactic third chapter in this epic new Star Wars trilogy... This is a limp noodle of a movie. And how limp? Like, the first time I saw it, when Adam Driver was having the conversation with Han Solo, I I, I, I somehow, as a huge Star Wars fan, didn't clock the I know answer as being an echo back to Empire Strikes Back. I was so checked out that what I thought when Han said I know, he was just literally dismissing it as, I know. <laughs> Treat it as though I'm a professional actor. 
Harrison Ford is sort of, I think, completely checked out of like acting in general, <laughs> to be honest. I think his sort of PK day passed, and in order to stay relevant, he just started mining his old popular titles. Let's do another Blade Runner. Let's do another Indiana Jones. Fuck it. Let's do some more Star Wars. And, oh, man, uh, that's going to be so bad, the next Indiana Jones movie. <laughs> He's 78 years old. <laughs> like, it's... Oh, he wears it like he's older than that. And it's sort of like the, the Scorsese movie Irishman. Like, you can try and digitally re-age their faces, but they still move and talk like old people. And I just picture, like... I picture, like, mid-afternoon each day on set, they stop so everyone can have a fucking nap. <laughs> like... <laughs> That's right. Anyway. I think Harrison Ford in the mid-2000s tried to make a comeback because he was in Ender's Game. And yeah. I think I think he was hoping that would be a franchise. I, I think that was the last movie that he tried. He invested himself in, yeah. I mean, he's been he's been doing it since the 70s. But part of me says if you're that checked out, just retire and give someone else a turn. <laughs> Dude. Yeah, why not? Um, I mean, he's certainly not, he doesn't have big Han Solo energy anymore. No, no. And uh, that's sort of what Poe was representing, that vibe of character. But Poe is, again, completely at sea in this movie. What does he, what is his arc? What does he do? He's, he's present. Well, they retroactively made him a smuggler and a scoundrel. Like, the, <laughs> all of that was in this one with <laughs> Zori Bliss, who is just, I everything about that character I hate, down to the fact that she looks like a Flash Gordon character instead of a Star Wars character. She's got a stupid name. Take the helmet she off. represents <laughs> just the worst of Disney cynicism. But she's talking about him, I don't know what, like all of it. It's just like shit that was should have been backstory from 1977. Um, you know, Jabba saying you dumped cargo or whatever, and we're like, oh, this person's got an interesting backstory. Like, we've known Poe. He's a soldier. He's a fighter pilot. He's not a smuggler. It's too late to make him Han Solo. And, like, Boyega, our, our de facto stormtrooper, who we started this whole story with, and who's like, what was his arc? What was his, like, what did he do? His entire arc was in the first movie. Yeah. They, they had no idea what to do with them. I mean, if it's hard to get, like, the dream role and free ticket into Hollywood and feel short-changed, but I kind of feel like he got done dirty by this series. A hundred percent. And, I mean, it's weird because, like, Oscar Isaac and John Boyega, they're professionals. Like, oh, yeah. they were delivering their lines like they meant it. Like, they were, they were disappearing into their roles, but it was just shit. Like, what they had to to work with is garbage and like i haven't been attacking the performances and i won't like and i have been attacking the special effects or like like the look of the film because i i don't but the script is terrible and it's obviously terrible like wow <laughs> and this has to fall at the feet of kathleen kennedy because ultimately, the problem is it wasn't a trilogy. Right? No. It's like, make it up as you go along. Um, you could say J.J. Abrams was trying his best, although, again, I thought there was something kind of... something snide towards Ryan Johnson and something very... trying to make all of the Twitter bullies happy. Um, so there's too much... Like, you couldn't even call it fan service. It's like the lowest common denominator of Star 
worst fan service. Well, and here's a cruel fact. With the exception of Han Solo, the, the Han Solo movie, which I didn't think was that bad, by the way, uh, any Star Wars movie makes money. This movie made a ton of money. I mean, as much as all the fans say it's an epic failure, as far as Disney's concerned, they did make their money back. But they also knew that the fans weren't happy with it. And I think focusing on the TV for a while might have been the right move. Yeah, 100%. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I thought the Star Wars Han Solo movie was whatever. I watched it on a plane. Um... And it was, I think, adequate for watching on a plane. Um, I, I would have felt ripped off if I'd spent money on it. But it was still, I think, the best of the Star Wars movies. Uh, but, at, I mean, at this point, I think Disney understands that, you know, like, their iconic character, Mickey Mouse, has never made a good movie. Right. You just have to keep it in circulation so that it can serve as a mascot to slap on shit. But that was the attitude of the whole movie. It wasn't, we like... We have these characters, we have this world. That's enough. We don't need a story. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then they introduce those, like, there's that stupid fucking thing that wiped C-3PO's memories, like, goo goo right. boo boo. Um, there was that stupid droid who was even cuter than BB-8, just <laughs> reaching uncanny levels of cuteness. Like, stop it, guys. Like, pull it back. I'm getting a toothache. And what was that doing but padding the runtime? Like, what did that little robot contribute? I, I mean, in the end, it was like the Deus Ex Machina. Oh, in its memory, it knows where things are. But then all of that was to say then... Uh, an hour and 15 minutes of this movie didn't need to happen because that droid had all of the information. And again, that was my problem with The Last Jedi. The entire B-plot could have been cut from the movie and, like, the the movie would have withstood it fine. (laughs) Like, if half of the movie doesn't need to be there, there's a problem, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, uh... I don't know. Is there any final thoughts? I've been trying to discipline these reviews to under a half an hour. <laughs> so, Are we way over half an hour? We're, no, we're, we're, way over. we're just over half an hour right now, but, you know. No, I mean, I, I don't know that I've got anything to say that hasn't been said a million times already. I would have had a bunch of hot takes if you had asked me in 2021. <laughs> or was it 2020? Whenever it came out. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's disappointing. I don't know what else to say. I don't, like, I'm... Again, I I wasn't I was going in hoping that it didn't suck, and then it did suck, and it sucked enough that my level of excitement for Star Wars has dropped. Full confession, Matt. Uh, I've watched Mandalorian with my kids, and I've watched Obi Wan. That's it. I haven't watched any of the other Star Wars. I'm just like I'll probably get around to it one of these times, but like I'm just I'm not excited about Star Wars anymore. And if you would have told me when I was a little kid. <laughs> That there would be a day where I wasn't excited about Star Wars, you would have broken my little kid heart. Yeah, I I agree. Um, I can say there's some, in much the same way that because of context of how I watched it, I had a, there's a sentimental place in my heart for Phantom Menace because I used to watch it a lot with my friends. (laughs) Well, it was always on in the background. We would be playing video games, whatever. It was fun. This one, I was riding around on a scooter in China with my buddy and we noticed that this was the premiere day so we decided just to go in and watch it. Uh, huge fucking megaplex. <laughs> there were four people in, in can, like including the two of us. So oh, we had wow. like, the entire theater to ourselves um, 
there's like some polite talking about it until <sighs> the plug gets pulled. Like, yeah, we both hate it. And then it was like, bo-woosh. Like, we just no. couldn't stop. I went through 24 hours of denial after I first saw The Phantom Menace. Whereas, like, it certainly wasn't what I wanted it to be, but it's not exactly bad. And then 24 hours later, no, it's not exactly bad, but it is terrible. It is terrible. <laughs> the, uh, uh, it's funny. Um, shout out to a friend of this show, Rayleigh Perkins. She just texted me the other day. Oh, actually, double shout out, because I watched this on her Disney Plus account. I'm not sure if she Bless knows her that heart. I got her password. Uh, <laughs> but she just watched The Phantom Menace, and she has some opinions on that that you can ask her about. <laughs> I will. Thank you so much for doing this, brother. Yeah, no problem. Uh, I was happy to do it last minute, uh, get a chance to rewatch this movie, and I actually, I mean, as much as I don't have anything good to say about it, I did like it more the second time around. Yeah, well, there's, that's something. <laughs> yeah. So it'll be a while before we revisit the world of Star Wars again, as there's going to hopefully be some new uh, standalone features and if they ever attempt an actual trilogy again maybe they'll take it a little bit more seriously as to what a trilogy is meant to do and be but uh, I think generally yeah Disney deserves to have their finger a finger wagged at them but that the fan base for Star Wars is not necessarily reasonable or real about what they want from Star Wars the perfect Star Wars movie might still be out there but I think the perfect Star Wars movie might need to be watched when you're still, you know, 10 or 11 years old. If you have feedback, send that feedback to rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. The website is rankandreview.ca. I drop every other Wednesday. And if you need something to fill your ears and the gaps in between, please check out the Shelf Shedding Movie Show. It's of high quality and it's hosted by my good friend, Mr. Jason Dubray. I will talk to you all again very soon.